Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zelmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Bennett Omalu about his recent memoir and the discovery of CTE. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Twin Cities. They have greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hi, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014, and I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me and upcoming podcasts at facesoftbi.com, and also be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Today, our guest is Dr. Bennett Omalu. Dr. Omalu is a Nigerian-American physician, forensic pathologist, and neuropathologist who was the first to publish findings of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, in American football players. He is the chief medical examiner of San Joaquin County, California, and a clinical professor at University of California, Davis. Will Smith portrays him in the major, major motion picture concussion. Dr. Omala wants to save lives. Specifically, he wants to protect your brain and your kid's brain, which has a huge impact on mental and physical health. In his new memoir, Truth Doesn't Have a Side, My Alarming Discovery About the Danger of Contact Sports, readers will learn about the discovery of CTE and new medical information about the true cost of playing contact sports. So welcome to the episode, Dr. Amalu. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy man. I follow you on Facebook and Instagram, and I love to see the awareness that you are bringing to CTE. So I really applaud you for all that you're doing and the passion that you have. Thank you. I'm humbled to be with you and your audience. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. I think they're going to be thrilled to hear what you have to say. So just to give our listeners a little bit of background, you were one of the first doctors to publish findings on CTE, and one of the first patients that you founded in was um, Michael Webster, an NFL player. Um, So why don't you give us just the brief synopsis of, you know, you were the chief medical examiner, and he was on your table, and you knew that there was something more here. You knew it was more than just, I believe he died from a um, heart attack. 
So yeah. just give us the brief uh, synopsis of that. Well, what happened was uh, I was in my early 30s working as the most junior medical examiner in the <laughs> medical examiner's office in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, I was struggling with depression. Um, I was struggling with very low self-esteem. So I was single, um, lived alone, had no social life. Um, but through studying dead people, I had discovered faith. And I began to practice my faith in my science and my science in my faith. So that Saturday morning, faithfully, I woke up late. Um, I turned on the television, and I heard about um, Mike Webster because I had not grown up in this country. I was a total buffoon and ignoramus <laughs> of football. I did not know what a quarterback was. I did not know what a touchdown was. I did not know what the NFL stood for. But everybody was talking about him, all the news and comment on women and commentators in very derogatory ways that he was like many other retired football players who had died suddenly um, after living a very bad life after football, bankrupt, um, homeless, you know, suffering from all types of uh, drug addiction and alcoholism. But I paid closer attention and wondered if this guy played this game for 17 years, like they said, wearing a helmet, he could have been exposed to hundreds of thousands of blows to his head. Couldn't he be suffering from some type of brain damage like boxers suffer from? But then I remembered while in medical school, I I knew only about dementia of boxers or the so-called um, dementia pugilistica. I had not heard of dementia footballistica, and then uh, I wasn't aware of chronic traumatic encephalopathy. There was no disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, although it had been used as an adjective in the literature. So, but I had to go to work. I had to take care of my own problems. I said, poor guy, life is unfair. I rushed off to work. And when I got to work, guess who was lying on my autopsy table? Mike Webster. You know, <laughs> what we call serendipity, uh, accidental discovery in medicine. So that moment when I saw Mike Webster, I... I walked up to him, introduced myself. I saw myself in him because by my faith, I believe that we all are members of one another, that we are one family, one hope, one spirit, one love, one joy. Whatever we do to one of us, we do to all of us. So I walked up to Mike Webster, I saw myself in him, and I said to him, Mike, I think you've been misunderstood. I don't think you're a bad person. I think actually you're suffering from a disease. But I would use all my knowledge and education to find out what that disease is. We need to get to the bottom of this. I had no reason to do his autopsy, but I still did it. Going by science, I had no reason to do his autopsy, but I did it. 
When I opened up his skull, his brain looked normal. I had no reason to save his brain, but because I had made a promise to him, I was going to get to the bottom of this, to the truth. I saved his brain. My office then did not want to pay for the brain analysis because I could not justify why I was examining his brain. So I went to my boss and sought permission to examine his brain and pay for the analysis myself. He allowed me that a very intelligent man, Dr. Cyril Wecht. He asked me what I was looking for. I said, I did not know. So I spent about six months to one year with the brain. At some point, I took it home with me. I was examining it on my kitchen table and on my dining table. <laughs> I, I, I had no social life, home. but <laughs> yeah, I had no social life, but Mike Webster gave me a life. So that brain became my life. So at some point, I identified changes in his brain. I did not know what they were. They were not Alzheimer's disease. They were not dementia pugilistica. Mike Webster was not a boxer. So what is that? What was this I was seeing? So I went to the library. I spent months and months researching this. Even went as far back to the time of Hippocrates, 400 BC. And to my utter shock, no one else had described this disease in a football player before. I did not want to believe it. So I took it and sh I took his slides and showed them to other doctors who confirmed that, look, yes, this, this was a unique disease and that we had to report it. We had to publish it. But it was very difficult for me to publish it until I discovered that I had to give it a name. It's like uh, talking about somebody without knowing that person's name. So I could not give it any name I wanted. Like I was tempted to call it a dementia footballitica or Mike Webster's disease. I developed criteria for a name. The name must be intellectually sophisticated, and it must have a good acronym. It must be generic yet specific, because I was afraid I was wrong, so that if somebody proved me wrong down the road, I would have some wiggle room to exit. Then, fundamentally, as a forensic pathologist, I discovered that this was an occupational disease. And being an occupational disease, it was all a matter of time. It would end up in the court of law. And in the court of law in the United States, there is a concept called the Dubert, Dubert, D-A-U-B-E-R-T, Dubert principle or Dubert standard. And what it means is that for any scientific or medical evidence to be used as legal evidence in the court of law, it must have precedence. It must fall within the generally accepted principles of medicine and science. So what I had to do to go above that standard was to go back to the literature to find out adjectives or names or descriptive terminologies that had been used in the literature that were already existent so that no judge would exclude the evidence of CTE 
or the disease I saw in my Webster in court. So I, I identified about 37 names. Um, in fact, one of the names I, I saw was traumatic encephalitis. I saw um, post-concussion encephalopathy, and also many other names. It was not difficult for me to use chronic traumatic encephalopathy because it fulfilled all my criteria, and it had a very good acronym, CTE. So I chose that name, published the findings, and in the first paper we said, I believed that many other football players were suffering from the same disease, that we should begin to examine the brains of football players. And within one year of publishing that case, I got another case. Within one year, I got another case. At some point, I was the only doctor describing this disease. It was on my eighth case that another doctor actually confirmed my findings. And today, I'm very delighted to know that my work, my concepts, my principles and propositions have been revalidated independently by so many other research groups across the world. So CTE is no longer in dispute, it's no longer a novelty, it is not a generally accepted principle of science. So, you know, I have so many feelings about CTE, and, you know, we've, we, it appears we've really only discovered it thus far in football. You know, the recent um, report that came out that 111 out of 112 NFL players had CTE. What are your thoughts on, like, do you think we're going to start finding CTE in, um, you know, people like me, for instance, someone who fell on the ice and hit their head really hard, someone who's been in a couple car accidents. Do you think we're going to start seeing it? there as well. No, not do we think we're going to start seeing it. It has already been seen. It's If you go back in the literature, because what is going on now is there has been a misappropriation of the science because of corporations, mm-hmm. corporations that have vested interests and conflicts of interest. They want to distort and misappropriate the science and develop alternative truths. That is why the title of my book is Truth Does Not Have a Side. And the truth, mm-hmm. the truth of the fact and the truth of the science is that there is no safe blow to the human head. Right. Now, you can suffer one major blow to your head. You can suffer episodic or several blows to your head, or you could suffer repetitive blows to your head. Each and every one of them can cause permanent brain damage. We need to know that. The more forceful the blow and the more repetitive the blow, the greater the likelihood you would suffer brain damage and the more severe the brain damage would be. Now, like I said in uh, in um, um, a published article recently. I think there is now a fascination and almost an obsession with CTE. CTE is only one type of brain damage among a broad spectrum of types of brain damage. You suffer when you suffer brain trauma. Even when you don't have CTE, does not mean you have not suffered brain trauma or brain damage, okay? CTE is just one, and it's an advanced stage of 
permanent brain damage when you are exposed to traumatic brain injury. In fact, in the communities, you have more cases of traumatic brain injury suffered from accidental injuries like motor vehicle accidents, like faults, assaults, in uh, domestic abuse. These cases are more prevalent than mm-hmm. sports-related TBI. But because it's not, they are not sensational, people don't hear about them. So if you suffer one major blow to your head, That blow by itself is a type of brain damage. A concussion is a type of brain damage, okay? Unfortunately, the brain does not have any reasonable capacity to regenerate itself. The brain is is not like your bone. If you fracture your skeleton, it heals. And after a couple of months, you may not even remember that you fractured your skeleton. The brain is not like that. The brain is a post-mitotic organ. Once the damage has occurred and tissue is damaged, it is permanent. Fortunately, the brain has a very significant capacity to compensate for injuries because we have over 200 billion brain cells. So based on different individuals, two individuals may suffer exactly the same type of trauma, but not manifest exactly the same types of symptoms. But the absence of symptoms does not mean you've not suffered brain damage. Okay? But the brain exhibits such behavior. For example, there are many people who are walking around with Alzheimer's disease pathology in their brains, but do not have any noticeable symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. Okay, there are some people who have very minimal amounts of Alzheimer's disease in their brain, but have very significant symptoms. So this is what we call a multi-domain concept. There are multiple factors involved. But in whatever we do in our lives, in whatever activity, you must do whatever you can to protect your brain and your head to prevent your brain from suffering any type of trauma. And that is why it has always been my position, based on a 1976 editorial in the Lancet Scientific Journal. This editorial in 1976, so many years ago, said, it would be foolish of mankind to continue to intentionally expose mankind to brain damage in sports. Okay, sports, certain types of sports, not all types of sports, increase your risk of suffering brain damage because these types of sports, you know, expose your head to repeated blows. And these are the high impact, high contact sports. These are unhealthy types of sports. I am not vouching for the ban of these types of sports, no. My position as a physician and as a Christian is that knowing what we know today, that no child under the age of 18 should be intentionally exposed to the risk of brain damage in high impact, high contact sports. Adults, when they reach the age of 18, are free to play. Adults are free to do whatever they want to do but not children. Children should engage in yeah. the non-contact, non-impact sports. 
Yeah. In in your book, you, you state, you know, we don't let children smoke or drink alcohol. Why would we let them, you know, purposely play a sport where they're hitting their head? And I think that's a pretty powerful statement. You know, why are we letting, you know, like I get that there's pros to playing team sports. You know, you learn team building, you learn leadership skills. Um, and I know you also advocate, advocate, you know, playing the sport more safely, which, you know, that might be more like um, um, flag football opposed to tackle football. Um, what are, you know, can you elaborate on that a little well, bit? Well, what happens is that so many types of sports. For children, children should play the non-contact sports like swimming, mm-hmm. track and field, volleyball, basketball, table tennis, baseball, lawn tennis. Now, in this non-contact sport, accidental injuries can still occur. So we have to play safe, and we need to regulate the play to minimize the risk of accidents, okay? But blows to the head are not intrinsic to the play. For the high-impact, high-contact sports, for example, like football, boxing, ice hockey, for these games, as long as you play them, your head is exposed to repeated blows. You cannot make these types of high-impact, high-contact sports safe. Even the industry will tell you that. If you send out a child to play football on a Saturday morning, that child, when he comes back to you, would have suffered at least 60 or more blows to his head after the game. Which is more dangerous? A stick of cigarette or a concussion of the head or of the brain. Of course, a concussion of the brain is more dangerous than one stick of cigarette. But we wouldn't let a child smoke a stick of cigarette, but we would send him out to repeat to receive not just one concussion, but multiple concussions and sub-concussions in just one game. And science has shown us that all it takes to suffer brain damage is just one season of play. And all it takes to suffer brain damage is if you suffer one concussion. And guess what? You can suffer a concussion without the concussion being diagnosed or detected. Right. So this, this requires a renewal of our minds. I'm a Christian and a physician. Okay? The scripture tells us in the book, in the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 4, that we must gladly give up the old self, embrace the new self with the renewal of our minds in the holiness and righteousness of the truth. And science tells us that as we evolve, as mankind, we become more intelligent and we change. As we become more intelligent, we give up the less intelligent ways of our past and embrace more intelligent ways of the future and the present. And in fact, the same scripture tells us in letter of John, first letter of John, that we must give up the darkness of the past and embrace the light of today. 
the light of the knowledge of today. I love okay? that. So yes, we we I, I received thousands of emails from parents from all over the world. Parents whose children have suffered irreparable brain damage. And the common thing each and every one tells me, each and every one of them tells me is, I did not know. I wish I had known. That was why I wrote my book. My book is not about sports. It's not about head trauma. It's about that common shared humanity. We are all part of. Okay? My middle name is Ifa Kando. It's African. It stands for life is the greatest gift of all. Life is the greatest gift of all. When I had my first child 10 years ago, I discovered that, no, it's not my life. The life of my child is the greatest gift of my own life. Because when I conceived my child with my wife, God granted us a gift of life, a gift of his spirit. And as parents, we have to do everything within our means to cherish, nourish, and protect that life. So knowing what we know today, knowing what we know, why would I encourage my son or my daughter to engage in an activity that would intentionally damage his brain and rob him or her of their intelligence? Other types of sports would give your child everything football or ice hockey would give your child and even give your child more the non-contact sports will protect your child's mind, your child's brain, and your child's intelligence. These are very difficult things to hear. But the truth is always inconvenient. The truth is always painful. The truth mm. is always difficult. But we cannot deny the truth because of its inconvenience, pain, or difficulty. Because when we do that, we develop our own alternative truths. And come what may, the truth will always prevail. It may take a long time to come. So when the truth prevails, what side do you want to be on? On the side of the truth or the side of the alternative truth? I have goosebumps. That is so beautiful. You're you're so passionate and your passion just really shines through and I appreciate the efforts that you're doing to really educate parents and children and the entire community um, about the dangers of sports and you know, you have to be informed. You know, like yeah. you said, they had no idea. They had no idea football could cause damage. But now we do, you know, and in part thanks to you, we know that. So I, I really applaud you and your efforts. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And, and if I may add to that, it's, you know, we, we have the temptation to blame the NFL, Okay. But if you read my book, I never attacked the NFL. I have an MBA from one of the best business schools in the world, the Tepper School of Business. The NFL is a corporation. 
And what do corporations right. do? Corporations are there to make money, to generate profits. The product the NFL sells as a corporation is football. The service they provide is entertainment. They are there to entertain you. The NFL is not there to provide public education. That is not their business. That is not the right. product they sell. They are not there to, to take care of your child for you. That is not their product. That is not their service. They are not there to provide health care. That is not what they do. And I don't expect them to do that. They are not there to provide medical research. No. They are there to provide football as a product to sell it and provide entertainment to you and make as much money as possible, which is a good thing. We live in a free market economy. It's an excellent thing. The NFL is as legitimate as every other corporation in America, corporations like Google, like Facebook, like Tesla. So we shouldn't make this about the NFL. No, that is not who we are. I, I, I encourage the NFL to be the best at what they do. And that is why I support that adults who want to play should play. And adults, that means college, football, NFL, will still be there for everybody to enjoy. But each and every parent Absolutely. has to make that decision. Do I love my son or daughter Do I love football more than I love my son or my daughter? It's a a, a personal decision each and every parent has to make. And that was why I wrote my book, to help parents. If if you believe that you love football more than you love your daughter or son, my book will give you solace. Dr. Omalu, we are just about out of time. So I thank you so much for being here. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great day, everyone.